Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Yeah. Every now and then, you know, I have two teenagers, and every now and then, uh, I feel like that their attitude is a little off. And uh, I'll catch myself saying, what kind of attitude is that? Or I'll say something like, you know, you, you really need to work on your attitude, or you need to change your attitude. And I got to thinking about, about attitudes, because this is what our, our passage is on today. And where do we get our attitudes from? And uh, how, do we, how do they develop? And really, a uh, psychologist says there's really, there's really five areas, five influences on how and why attitudes form, and we're not immune from any of these. The first is experience. And so you have experiences in life, and that, uh, that changes your attitude. So if you run into a, uh, a red-haired 40-year-old man and he's rude to you, and then the next week, you run into another red-haired 40-year-old man, and he's rude to you, too. And then the next week, you run into a third red-haired 40-year-old man, and he's rude to you. Then you might start thinking, gosh, I need to stay away from these red-haired 40-year-old men. Right? And so we see a little bit of that in, in our life with experience. And if I do this, this will happen. And so this is the attitude I need to have. Then there are social factors where the culture and society has adopted, for better or worse, certain norms that are considered appropriate, uh, different social norms, social roles. And so, you know, you don't act like this in public, or you don't say these kind of things in person. And we're told this, or we're, we, we see the, the community acting like this. And so that's why when you go to a different culture, uh, certain things are taboo. Other things that you don't do are, are bad. And so you don't really understand it because it's cultural. So you have uh, a lot of attitudes that develop in that type of setting. Then attitudes can also be learned. Uh, we can learn how to have attitudes. You know, commercials, advertisers are always doing this for us. They're trying to, to teach us what we should be doing, what we should be wanting to do. You see a bunch of young, beautiful people having fun on a beach, uh, drinking a sports drink or something like that. And it says, this is, you need that drink too. Look, if you drink that drink, you'll be young and beautiful on the beach as well. That's what advertisers are doing. And so we, we learn and, and we think, okay, well, that's what I need to do. I need to have that type of attitude. And then there's conditioning as well. If someone is, uh, does something that people don't like, they will tell them, hey, don't do that anymore. right? And they'll learn through conditioning that if I say this or do this, people don't like it, so I should probably change. And then, finally, people learn about attitudes by just observing others around them. And this is really a lot how children learn. This is why when um, your children will say things that remind you of something you've said or uh, remind you of something that, that your, uh, your spouse says, uh, my wife is always calling me and the children honey, you know, and, and she'll say, honey, don't do that or whatever. And the other day uh, we said something to John David that he didn't like. And he said, honey, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, don't say that ever again. Uh, so he learns that if I say, honey, I could be upset with someone or something like that, right? And so they, they, they observe how parents talk. And uh, he said that a couple of times. It's kind of disturbing. But anyway, uh, you know, observation, right? And so we, we, you, um, um, observation. So we, we have these different ways that, that attitudes develop. Well, as we read Scripture... As the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus, our attitude should also change and be more in line with God's attitudes. And that's what we're looking at today in Colossians chapter 3. This is not my favorite passage to preach, uh, primarily because I'm not a wife. 
And, uh, and there's some very specific things God tells us here in His Word. But it's God's Word, not mine, so we're going to read it. Colossians 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Father in heaven, as we continue to worship you today, we, we come across this passage. It talks about what our attitudes should be like as husbands and wives, as parents, as children. As, uh, as bond servants and as masters. And Father, we don't really have that, but we do have employment situations. We do have job situations that are similar principles, Lord. So help, help us understand how in all these relationships, our attitudes can become more like you, become more like your attitude and what you would have us to be, how you would have us to, to do, Lord. Lord, I do pray that you fill me with your spirit, that my words are yours today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage uh, gives us three areas of life where our attitudes need to change. Three areas of life where our attitudes need to change. And the first one is that we need to change our attitudes concerning marriage. Change our attitudes concerning marriage. Every culture, every society does have these social norms of what the marriage relationship should be like. How the husband should be, how the wife should be. Sometimes they line up with scripture, sometimes they do not. And the context of this passage comes really on the heels of Paul informing the Colossians that they were to take off the, the, the metaphorical old garments of their old ways and put on the new garments, new clothes of living like a Christian. So this goes into all your relationships and marriage is one. He, says, he said that we covered this a few weeks ago, that before in Christ you lived a certain way. Before in Jesus you were sexually immoral, you were impure, you had evil desires, you coveted others' lives, you were full of anger, you were full of wrath, you were full of malice, you slandered people, you spoke obscenely to them. But now in Christ you are to be compassionate, you are to be kind, you are to be humble, you are to be meek, patient, forbearing, forgiving, and loving. So your lives should now look vastly different from the culture that surrounds you. And this extends into our relationships. So here Paul shows how this is to look in marriage and other relationships. And the thing about Paul is he doesn't beat around the bush. He says exactly what he thinks the Lord is telling him to say and what the Lord has told him to say. So he says in verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And I never knew that these uh, 11 words could be so controversial in our culture, but they are. It seems way out of whack in our society. Our culture, our American culture is, is very independent, as we know. 
And the idea of a person submitting to another is taken as a weakness. Or that the person is somehow inferior to the other. So in our progressive culture, uh, this passage is often laughed at. Or it's just dismissed entirely. It was a cultural time and doesn't really apply to us today. But we need to take time to look at it to see what Paul and God's intention was. He, he says here, uh, wives, and literally it's the wives. And he's talking about the wives of the church. He's talking about those that in, are in Colossae. And he says, here's how you should live with your husband. And he tells them this because they're not doing it and they're not expected to do it. This is new information to them. He says to submit to them. What does that mean exactly? Well, it has an idea of respecting their husband, but it also means to, to willingly put themselves in a position of subordination. Well, who in the world would do that? Willingly put yourself in a position of subordination. What, so what is exactly is he asking the women to do? Well, first of all, he's advocating something that they do willfully, something that's their decision, something the wife chooses to do. It's not an issue of being forced to do this or becoming some type of mindless slave. He's saying that the love of Christ, the new person that you are in Christ, should compel you to respect your husband. It does not imply inferiority. In many ways, uh, the marriage relationship resembles the Trinity. You have a relationship between the three persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They are different persons, yet same, equal in essence. They are part of God. There is no inferiority there. And just as the husband and wife are one flesh, there is no inferiority in either person of the marriage. Yes, we see this even in the Trinity, uh, in the relationship of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equal in essence and worth. Yet, Jesus Christ submitted to the Father. Isn't that interesting? He did the Father's will. He said, not your will, not my will, but your will be done, even though Jesus is God and is not less than the Father. So we see this even in the Trinity. The Father's role, the Heavenly Father's role was and is different from the role of Jesus. Just like the Holy Spirit's role is different than the role of the Father and the Son. Thirteen times in the New Testament, Jesus is recorded as saying something like this, Not my will, but your will be done. Yet Jesus is God. So it's a mystery of the Trinity. So Jesus submitting to his will, to the Father's will, was for our benefit. And that's what he's trying to get across to the wives. He says, this is beneficial. Biblical submission is a glory. And in marriage, husbands have different roles than wives. Our culture would like to say that's not the case. Our culture, culture wants all, all genders to be different, but somehow all be the same. I don't quite understand that. There's 1,500 genders, but you're really all the same. This makes no sense to me. No, it's not. Husbands have different God-given roles than wives. See, marriage is far larger and far more important and far bigger than just you and your spouse. Did you know that? It's not just about you and your spouse. Marriage is far bigger than that. It is a living picture. It is an analogy for Christ's relationship to the church. It's not just your life with your wife or your husband. It's an analogy of Christ's relationship to the church. The church is viewed in Scripture as the bride of Christ. 
And what did Christ do? He lovingly died for his bride. So there, the church then submits herself to the leadership of Jesus. If you had a church where the bride of Christ did not submit to the leadership of Jesus, you have a church that is way off kilter. Is a living analogy. So he says, likewise, wives are called to submit to their husbands, and husbands are called to submit to Jesus. And when both of these things are happening, the marriage is running by God's design. Now, also, submission is not absolute. This is not an issue of obedience, like children are called to obey their parents. There are times where a husband may ask or even sinfully demand something of his wife that is unbiblical, that is sinful, and you are not wives required or expected to submit to that. Because your first priority is always to obey God, always to submit to the leadership of Jesus. And this is a willful act to the husband. Now, submission is actually good for all of us. We need to quit thinking of it as being an inferior thing. We all have areas in life where we are expected to submit, it's ultimately an attitude of the heart. If I'm driving down the road and the speed limit sign says 50 and I go 80, I'm not submitting to the law. If I get pulled over and I give the officer some mouth and I say, well, it shouldn't be 50, it should be 80, blah, blah, I don't care what your laws say, it's not going to go well for me. Right? It's an attitude of the heart. The heart. And this is a highly debated verse, especially in the last 50 years. Despite clear statements throughout Scripture, it's called, this call is in Ephesians 1, it's in 1 Peter, it's in 1 Corinthians. And so we have to be careful not to call into question uh, God's Word just because our culture or our own attitudes don't agree with it. Some will say this is just a cultural mandate that Paul gave to the ladies, the wives in Colossae, but if that's the case, we have to take the whole passage as a cultural mandate, and we have to apply it to the husbands too. So, so are the husbands not really have to? Are the husbands not called to love their wives? Is that cultural as well? I don't think it would be. See, because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the in the garden, our marriage relationships are marred. When we get married, it's two sinners. You realize that as soon as you're married. You realize that after day two, day one, you realize what a sinner your spouse is. Day two, you realize what a sinner you are. You realize, holy cow, who did I marry? And then after about a week, you think, gosh, I'm that bad. Yes, you are, right? You realize when you're married that you are not perfect. So in order to restore marriage in Christ, Paul says that firstly, women submit to husbands God-ordained headship and that men should love their wives. This is what he says in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. All right, there, we know there's a lot of husbands who fail this. Now, interestingly, men are not called to submit to their wives. Why? Well, quite frankly, many men are often willing to submit to their wives. I want, I want, to, I want to make that case for you. Men, men are often willing to just go along with what their wife says. Uh, it's the path of least resistance many times. Amen, men? It is. Okay, sure, we'll do that. I don't want to hear about it, right? We'll do it. Men will very easily submit to their wives, but they're not called to. They're called to love their wives. And let me tell you what, that's a lot harder to do because loving means often having difficult conversations. Amen? It does. You know what I'm talking about. 
This love represents a continuous action. It means literally keep on loving your wives. Don't just say I love you once and love them once. Keep on loving them, right? Yeah. Men, if you feel like your wife doesn't respect you, join the club, right? <laughs> if you feel like if your wife doesn't respect you, love her anyway. If you feel like your wife doesn't have an attitude of submission, love her anyway. If you feel like your wife doesn't seem to care what you think, love her anyway. It's not a passionate love. It's, it's a willing love. It's a choice to love. And this love is a love of self-sacrifice. And the command here for the wife to submit is under the presupposition that the husband will be loving. It's under the understanding that you're, you're submitting to a loving husband. Not a harsh husband, but a loving one where there's a good relationship. As Christ died for you and loves you, so you should submit to his leadership. And as a man who loves his wife would never force her to submit, he should lovingly lead. But loving is not the only thing the husbands are called to do. They are also called to not be harsh with them. I had a hard time with this when I was... You know, you know, started dating in college and got married because I had a bunch of guy friends that, you know, we just would talk to each other like guys do. And I was like, I don't think I can talk to women like that, right? Like, you can't treat your wife how you would treat your boys. That's not how it works. You have to learn how to, to speak and, and talk like that, right? And so it says to not be harsh with them and to not be embittered with them. It has the idea of not having a habit of treating them bad. Don't have a bitter taste in their mouth for their wife. You might say, well, you don't know how she talks to me. It doesn't matter how she talks to you because you don't control her. You control you. Well, you don't know what she said. Well, it doesn't matter what she said. She's your, her person. She has her own command. You have your command. Your command is to love her and to not treat her harshly. Husbands, there will be times where your wife will want to argue with you. It's the case, Right? There will be times where they will sin against you. And this does not give you the permission to retaliate. <laughs> does not give you the permission to say, submit to me. That will not work. Okay? Don't ever say that. Trust me. That will not work. And it's wrong. This gives you the opportunity. There's a lot of talking in here today. I don't know what's going on. Right? This gives you the opportunity to forgive and love. As Christ has forgiven and loved you. Husbands, you can't force your wife to submit to you any more than your wife can force you to love her. Wives, you can't force your husband to love you any more than he can force you to submit to him. Keep that in mind as you are praying for each other and obeying Scripture. Here's why you should love your, husband, your wives and why it's important for wives to submit. Because God ultimately holds the man responsible for every decision that is made in the family. Did you know that? I'll prove it to you. Look at Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve sinned, remember, remember, you remember the story? Uh, the, the serpent tempted Eve. Eve fell. She gave it to Adam. Adam said, okay, sure, I'll eat it. He ate it. Didn't even ask a question or anything, just took it. He, he submitted to her real easily. Here, eat this. Okay. Genesis 3, they've sinned, verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves, because they knew they had sinned, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord said to him, 
where are you? He didn't say, Eve, what have you done? He said, Adam, what have you done? He says, well, that woman you gave me did it. <laughs> Literally, that's what he said. And she said, but that snake did it. She blamed the snake. But he didn't say, he didn't ask Eve why. He comes to Adam. He said, I gave you this land. I gave you this woman. And what have you done? When there's a bad decision made, God holds the man responsible. So as Christians, God calls us to change our attitudes concerning marriage. Number two, change your attitudes concerning parenting. Okay, now that we've got that out of the page, let's, change, let's shift gears, right? Parenting. Verse 20. You wouldn't think our society would have a problem with this, but it's getting to where this is almost foreign. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Been to Walmart lately? I mean, have you just walked around the culture lately? This is not something that happens. Children, obey your parents and everything. Apparently, children don't naturally want to obey their parents. Did you know that? They don't. My little three-year-old told me the other day, he said, I can do whatever I want. That's what he told me. <laughs> Let me tell you what, he didn't learn that in my house. That's a natural thing for him. I said, no, you can't. I can do whatever I want. I said, no, you can't do whatever you want. They naturally don't want to obey their parents. Some cultures and some areas of our own society, this appears to be okay to obey is a continued act of obedience as long as a child is living in your home. And there's no age limit here. This word for children has this idea of a child living in the home. They are to obey their parents. That's why I moved out as quick as I could. <laughs> the children is under the authority of the parents. They are to obey them. Look at Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord is giving to you. Right? There's a blessing there as well. Now, if you're struggling with your child not obeying you, then just take them to Proverbs 30, 17. And read this with them. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. So you can just read that to them if they're having a problem with discipline one day, and that will get them straight. <laughs> what? Did you know that was in, Does anybody have that on the refrigerator? I don't have that on a coffee mug. Anything like that? Did you know that was in the Bible? What's it talking about? It is metaphorical, hopefully. Basically saying this, that disobedience to parents is ungodly, and it's sinful. Because how a child treats their parents is a good indicator of how they will treat their God. How they treat their earthly father and mother is a good indicator of how they will treat their heavenly father and so, children, whether you think your parents deserve it or not, you're still called to obey your parents and everything. Now, when your parents act contrary to God's law, if there's some type of abuse or something, you don't have to follow along for that. If your parent quits coming to church and discourages you to quit coming to church, you find a ride. Because your ultimate allegiance is not even to your parents, it's to Jesus. But you obey your parents in the Lord. Obedience to parents pleases God. But this does not give a blank check for parents to treat their children badly. Look at what Paul says in verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. 
right? Don't exasperate them. When you parent, parent them. And this can be hard, right? Because children will be rude and they'll do things. And then the first time they say something, it's one thing. But the sixth, seventh time they do it, you get a little exasperated and you, and you can discourage them. And so don't discourage them. There's a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of ways you can discourage them. You can discourage the child from overprotection. Overprotecting at some, time, at some point, you just have to trust that your child is in God's hands. Amen? All right, you have to. You can discourage your children if you have a lot of children by favoritism, by, by, by favoring a child. And you don't have to say, this child's my favorite. They know they are. Criticism. You know, you'll hear, I'll hear every now and then, if I'm in a store, a parent calling a child a name, stupid or something like that. There's no place in that. They're made in the image of God. You don't call them a name. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations for our children. Uh, that can be exasperating. Things like this. And, and so don't exasperate your children. Change your attitude when it comes to parenting and make sure it matches up how God has called you to parent. And finally, number three, change your attitudes concerning work. Concerning work. Now, this is written to slaves and to masters. And much of slavery in biblical time was temporary. Someone had a debt they couldn't pay. Well, they didn't just go get a second job or they didn't go to file bankruptcy or something like that or they didn't get a loan to pay off a credit card. They became a slave. And they worked off that debt until the debt was paid. And so many people uh, had to go into slavery at some point to pay off debts. And so he's saying, this is how you should treat each other. Now, we don't have that, but we do have jobs. And they may not be slavery, but <laughs> we get paid for it. But there are jobs where these principles are the same. And so he says, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Visit restaurants and figure out which employees are living this. You can tell. Visit job sites and what employees are, are doing everything for the Lord. See, you're not working for your supervisor. You're not working for your boss. You're working for the Lord. And so you do well because you work for God. Verse 24 says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. And he says, For the wrongdoers we pay back for the wrong he has done. There's no partiality. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So those that, if you work, you manage or things like that, justly and fairly. Change your attitudes concerning work. You can buy all the business books you want, leadership books and management books and things like that, or you can just read this passage right here. All right? Treat your slaves justly and fairly why because you also serve the master in heaven so our attitudes are formed by all sorts of different things all sorts of different influences but the number one influence should be god's word you might say well i don't believe in this i don't agree with this well how's your life going without it how's your life going without submitting god's word what do you have to lose? You only have everything to gain by changing your attitudes 
and making them fit with the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've given us in this life. We thank you for, for giving us life. We thank you for uh, giving us Jesus. We thank you for Jesus Christ submitting to the will of the Father. Even in the garden, he was sweating blood and tears and sweat falling down from his face. And as he was about to go to the cross, and he said, Lord, if there is another way, but not my will but yours. Sometimes in our life, Lord, we feel like, Lord, if there's another way, do it. But you've told us the way. So let us trust you, Lord. Let us trust you in those ways. And let us uh, look to Jesus, who is the ultimate servant, who through his death on the cross and his burial and resurrection, he purchased eternal life for us, not by his will, but ultimately by the Father's will. So we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, as we leave here today, we, we ask for, if those who are here in here, Lord, have never placed their faith in you, never received your salvation, they will do so today, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.